Hello, welcome to my podcast, The Mongols, Chinese Emperors, and this is episode 5, Mid Yuan. In the last episode, we learned about the new Chinese dynasty, the Yuan dynasty. China was unified again under Kublai Khan, and that he served as an able Chinese emperor and great Khan, universal ruler. We also learned that Kublai died, and I talked about his legacy. In this episode, I want to talk about how his death marked another succession problem that seemed to be all too common with the Mongol rulers. His grandson, Temur, finally took the throne as the second Yuan Dynasty emperor and sixth, at least nominally, great Khan of the Mongol Empire. I will also talk about his reign and his death, including many of the issues he faced upon his ascension and throughout his short 13-year reign. The title to this podcast episode may seem a bit strange, Mid-Yuan. I know we only talked about the first Yuan emperor, Kublai. Several histories I have read refer to the period between the death of Kublai and the ascension of the last Yuan emperor in the year 1333 as this mid-Yuan period. During these 39 years of the mid-Yuan period, This was a politically volatile and turbulent period for the Khanate and the Chinese dynasty. Kublai, while an able ruler, left many problems and issues unaddressed. Kublai had changed the Mongolian center of political gravity from the steppes region in Asia to China. I believe I covered why he did that in the last episode. Kublai Khan had successfully stitched together a diverse, workable, multi-layer, multicultural, and multiracial empire. This left, however, a diverse, multicultural, multiracial, multilayered, and complex set of problems and issues. The largest and perhaps the most difficult conundrum was what constituted the most important part of the vast Mongol Empire, China or the other parts. How should the next Khan proceed? 
What part deserved more attention? These were not merely academic questions of no consequence. Like all empires or kingdoms, resources were always limited. Prioritizing was necessary if the empire or kingdom was to survive. Factor into this the issue any new khan or emperor faced. Legitimacy needed to be substantiated. This would be difficult to substantiate if conquest and imperialism were somehow stopped or terminated, or no longer the priority. The curse of being the universal ruler was you were only as good as your weakest link in the chain, or by the limits of your finite resources. At the time of Kublai's death, the Yuan dynasty was at war with parts of the several khanates that it heralded from Ogadai Khan's lineage from many, many years before. Kublai's system of government that he left was a good, but it was a vulnerable compromise between Mongolian systems and traditional Chinese systems. The differences in those systems often conflicted with one another, and that created a gap that had to be bridged by the next Khan or emperor. Another observation facing the next Khan and emperor is that the Mongolian plan of imperialism and conquer and subjugation had reached the point of diminishing returns, the geographical maximum. If that was the case, then internal improvements and not foreign conquest ought to be the focus going forward. Finally, the chronic fiscal problems left by Kublai could only be reversed with drastic political, military, and fiscal changes. One of the issues I had not mentioned is that Kublai never finally resolved the succession issue. Some have opined that because Kublai never firmly committed to either Chinese or Mongolian succession policies and customs, and they were different, during his reign, there was bound to be a succession problem at some point during the Mongolian reign. Kublai did appoint his oldest son, and we talked about this last episode, but when that son died in the year 1285, the succession plan was obviously aborted. For whatever reason, after his son's death, Kublai never clearly made a succession appointment. The Chinese custom was that the succession goes to Kublai's eldest son and then, and then to anyone claiming under the eldest son. Here's where it gets interesting. Remember, Kublai was a dual leader over both the Chinese dynasty and the greater Mongol Empire. The Chinese emperor succession custom was clear that only direct descendants of Kublai could succeed to the Chinese throne. But because Kublai was also the great Khan under the Mongolian customs, other Mongol Khans had a claim to his Mongolian title or position. But that would not work for the Chinese dynasty, 
That was a unique and unexpected outcome to the merger of the Khanate with the Chinese monarchy. I wonder if anyone of them around at that time realized that before the fact. Kublai never clearly designated his successor, who we now know, of course, to be his grandson, Temer, his dead son's second-born son. The records do indicate that Temer was given some indicia as the crown prince from Kublai, but it was apparently never made official. It is noted that Temer was given the governorship of Karakoram by his grandfather in the year 1293, and he did accompany his grandfather on some military campaigns. Some have speculated that Kublai's failure to designate Temer was intentional. The two had worked together, and it is believed by some that Kublai thought Temer was a drunkard. Temer's only rival for the throne was his older brother, Kamala. He had as much right, and maybe a better claim, to the throne than did Temer. In the end, however, Temer had the better case, or better allies, than his brother. Temer was officially enthroned as the new Khan and Chinese emperor in May of the year 1294. But remember, by that time, because of the regional rivalries of the Mongol Empire, it was already split into separate khanates. So, it is a bit of an overstatement to claim that Temer was the universal ruler. Temer would really only be the nominal Khan of the Mongol Empire. His power and influence outside of China was limited. Temer was the sixth Khan of the Mongolian Empire and the second emperor of the Chinese Yuan Dynasty. His Chinese emperor name was Chen Zong, but I refer to him by his commonly used name of Temer. He immediately issued an edict that his reign would be preserving the system left by his grandfather. In fact, Temer kept most of his grandfather's ministers. Temer's reign is viewed as the peak of the Yuan dynasty. His reign marks the beginning of the decline of the Yuan dynasty in China. Temer was not his grandfather in any way. He lacked the intellect and vigor of his grandfather. From the inception of his reign, he was plagued by corruption. And this would always be a major focus during his reign. In the year 1303, an enormous corruption operation was exposed. Some 18,000 persons were convicted for their crimes. Tens of millions had been stolen or misappropriated. Temer's reign is also noted for his efforts to transition the empire from conquests to general peace. 
Temur reversed the expansionist policies of his Mongolian ancestors. The only foreign military adventures during his reign was to Burma and Tibet in the years 1301 and 1303. It was not for conquest, but redress of alleged wrongs those nations had committed against the Yuan. He also had to put down rebellions in Korea and parts of southern China. Temur's greatest achievements during his reign was ending the costly feuds and wars with the rival Khanates in his empire. Thus, Temur achieved what his grandfather Kublai could not. That was suzerainty, at least nominally, over the entire Mongolian empire. Though he achieved peace with the empire, his own family caused him much pain. In his later years, Temur suffered from an array of chronic conditions and illnesses, allegedly because he had led a hard, drunken life in his earlier years. Temur tried to arrange a smooth succession, but was unable to do so while he was alive. So when he died in the year 1307, at the age of 41, the succession question remained. To me, the Mongols seemed at best unlucky, at worst cursed, as it seems most of the Khans were unable to clearly settle the succession question while they were alive. This failure stems, in my humble opinion, from simply not making the designation. Where the designation was made clearly, there seemed to be little issue over the succession. But this had to be obvious to the royal families. So what gives? I don't know. Temer is considered to be a capable ruler. He did make peace among the Khanates and his neighbors. He had the benefit of very capable people in his royal court. He learned well from his grandfather. He also left the dynasty in good shape, at least in relation to the systems and structures in place. His biggest problems, however, were financial. The financial issues would survive his death. Temur also leaves a legacy as the last Yuan emperor to maintain firm control over China. And unfortunately for the Yuan dynasty, one of the last of the able emperors. So I kind of just gave away the finish, but there's a lot more to come. Temur never really had any power over Mongol territories in Russia or the Middle East. His great Great-grandfather, I think I have the right amount of greats in there, Genghis Khan, presciently warned about a century earlier that his successors should never forget their hardy steppe origins and ever allow themselves to be seduced by the luxury and pleasures of a sedentary society. The epic breakup of the Mongol Empire was a mirror image of the epic that created it. And I will bring it all to you.
It should be clear to anyone listening to this podcast that the Mongolians were trapped in a strange continuum with inconsistent results on each end of the continuum. On one end was the Mongolian conventions of conquest, expansion, mobility. On the other end of the continuum was the Chinese conventions of stoic endurance, self-improvement, and societal strength. To do one and not the other destroyed the legitimacy of the Khanate or the legitimacy of the dynasty. While Kublai is known for his ability to maintain the balance along the continuum, you have to wonder if the balance was sustainable. It seems to me that at some point you have to pick which one. In the next episode, again, succession battle after the death of Temer. We'll see Temer's nephews come to the throne. The Chinese civil examination system is finally re-implemented as one of the nephew cons tries to lurch the Yuan dynasty more toward traditional Chinese roots and culture. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. <laughs>